Welcome to the Mission Cleveland weekly podcast, encouragement and hope in a despairing world. Maybe like a lot of you, I've been thinking about revival. It's in the air, you know, we have some revival wanderings going around and um, I, I, I thought a lot this week, like I've, I've talked a lot about revival. Maybe you can relate to this. I've talked a lot about revival in conversations with folks. I've, I've been in so many different like conferences or experiences where revival was like the topic. And I started to think this week, like, would we know, would we know revival if it happened? Would we know it? Like what, how would we know not to miss it? Like if revival was happening. And I started to think about like these two extremes that I think we can land in. And one of them is what I want to just call the, the extreme of, of cynicism. And it's the extreme that we can go to where I think it comes from somewhere. It comes from our experiences of being hurt in the church or around matters of faith. And... We get to a place where it's just so hard for us to even really believe anymore that God is active and moving in our world. And we just want to say, I just don't know. And maybe we don't say it that way, but we can really live for a long time in a place of cynicism where we just get disillusioned with the whole thing altogether. That's one extreme. The other extreme, I'm not really sure what to call it, but I, in my, in my notes, in my thinking, I just call it high-octane emotionalism. It's just where you just go all out, and it's not even like connecting heart, soul, and mind, but you're, and I think it comes from somewhere too, like we're longing to experience God. It comes from a great place, like we're longing to experience the living God. But I think we can get into a space in that extreme where we start to try to create an experience. Or we start to think about, like, maybe we do our experiences better. Like, it's kind of laced with a lot of pride, self-righteousness. We start comparing revivals or something. Either one of those extremes, in my estimation, neither are helpful for us. Neither are helpful. Both avoid true revival experiences. Both step out of whatever God's doing and make it something of the human heart, something of the flesh. They take us away from the genuine movement of God. In our gospel today, our our story is the transfiguration. It's the story of Peter, James, and John who go up to the mountain who pray with Jesus. And they experience the glory of God on the mountain. Yeah. They experience the glory of God. Jesus' face begins to glow, and not only his face, but his entire garment, like it just flows over him. It just spills out. There's so much glory in God when they see him on the mountain praying. He just he's revealing the, the divinity of Jesus, but we also see the true humanity of Jesus. We see both are on full display, and it's 
It reminds me of uh, the quote from St. Irenaeus, the second century church father, who said the glory of God is a human being fully alive. You see that fully in Christ on the mountain here. His face is shining. And I thought about that passage. We didn't read it tonight. I think the passage we read from Exodus 24, really, we get that in our lectionary because uh, we, we have this kind of it's a similar um, uh, story about the cloud of God kind of coming on a mountain and that same a uh, similar experience happens in the transfiguration too. So we don't really get this story, but remember the second time Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments? Mm. And the Bible said that his face is glowing. Yeah. He doesn't even know, like, <laughs> can you imagine, you know, he comes down the mountain, his face is so aglow because he's been talking to God. And the people are like, dude, <laughs> like put a veil on that stuff, you know? <laughs> they, they cannot handle this experience that Moses has had. And you know, for Moses, the distinction between Moses and Jesus here, for Moses, he's merely reflecting the glory of God. Mm. When we see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is the glory of God. He is the glory of God, fully divine, fully human. He teaches us what it actually looks like here to be a human being. They have this profound experience on the mountain, Peter, James, and John do. It's the kind of experience that you might find at a revival. I started thinking about this. Like, What if we looked at this passage, the, 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 the passage of the Transfiguration, what if we looked at it through the lens of revival? So let me just do that for a couple of minutes. I know it's warm in here. Am I the only one that's really warm? I'm like roasting up here. I shed a shirt here. <laughs> Three movements, I think, of revival in this passage. If you don't agree, we can talk later. Three movements of revival, transfiguration. Here they are. Belief. Experience and transformation. Mm. Belief, yeah. experience, and transformation. Peter, James, and John, if, if you read, if you have a chance this, this week, if you read the story in Matthew 17, you'll, you'll see that Peter, James, and John, like, they already seem to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. By this time, they've seen him feed the 5,000. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen him perform miracles. Just before this, in Matthew 16, you see Peter with this declaration that Jesus is the son of the living God. They trust him. They've seen him. And I just want to say, maybe this is obvious, but let me just say it, that belief in Jesus is so critical to our discipleship. Yeah. It's so critical. That may just seem so obvious. It almost, I almost didn't say that. But I think we can get into a place where we just get used to Jesus. We get familiar with Jesus. 
We don't really expect Jesus to surprise us. We just get used to him. It reminded me of a story when we were in Wisconsin. We'd been there for about a year. We were doing church planting in this community. And there was another church down the road that was much bigger, much larger, and they were throwing a block party in our neighborhood. And I walked into the church and I saw someone that I knew from Virginia where I grew up. This is like 12 hours away and he's on the same street that we moved to. We moved there to start a church to do ministry in this neighborhood. And I found out he had to, he had moved to not the same street, but there was so many people on the street that we began to know because of this guy that I had known. And maybe not everyone would respond to an experience like that um, by saying, whoa. But my experience was this is exactly where God wants us to be. It was like I just took a step back and I could see that how, how God had orchestrated all the movement for us to be in Wisconsin, 12 hours away from my home. <clears throat> I was shocked. Because before that, I thought, well, maybe we're supposed to be here for a couple of years or whatever. You know, it was actually Julie who said, I think we're supposed to move here. I was like, I don't know. You know, so I kind of reluctantly went along. But then that experience opened my eyes. I was so surprised by the way God moved. Have you had one of those experiences where you just didn't expect God to be moving and all of a sudden, boom, there, there it is. Like it's happening. We can get so used to Jesus. It's our belief in Jesus. We believe that he's active and living and working things out in our life even today. Our belief in Jesus is critical for discipleship, but it's also critical for revival. If our belief in Jesus is absent from our experiences of Jesus, I think it's just a disconnection between our head and our heart. I think we just slip back into this impairment, spiritual impairment of cynicism, and our faith just gets to be some kind of intellectual exercise. We need not just belief, but we also need experience. I'm going to read some of the gospel again tonight. This is Matthew 17, verses 2 through 4. And Jesus was transfigured before them, which just means he was transformed before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And I think this is my favorite part of the whole passage. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is well that we are here. It's good that we're here. Isn't that the heart, the posture of our worship? It's good for us to be here. If you're, if you're locked up in cynicism or pride or you're trying to like enter into a revival, like I don't even think you get there. It's hard to even get to that place in your heart where you say, it's good for us to be here. I don't think Peter stayed there very long because the very next thing he does is he says, 
Let us build some booths. Let us build some tabernacles. Let us do something. It's good. Let us do something. And I just think, obviously, we're called to do things in our faith. But you don't see Jesus telling them really to do anything other than listen to him, to not be afraid. He does tell them something not to do. Don't talk about this until after the resurrection. It's almost like, yeah, they're going to respond. They're going to have activity that grows out of this experience. Right now, what Peter needs to do is stop thinking about building things and just be present with what's happening in the glory of God as it's being revealed to him. Mm, yeah. I mean, God reveals himself and we get so excited. What a do-do-do. What happens if we just slow down to pray? That's what they were invited up on the mountain to do anyway, to pray. It takes away from our experience, is my point. It takes away from our experience if we start to move away from what God is doing. He's revealing himself and we start to perform instead of being present. Belief, experience, and third, I just want to say something about transformation. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, let me read these words. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. You see, Peter, this is like 30 years after the transfiguration. This is probably, I mean, there's a lot of confusion about 2 Peter, if you ever study that. But my best guess is this is probably happening right before Peter is martyred in Rome. And so he's about to face persecution. He's already faced persecution. And 30 years later, after the transfiguration, this is one of the things that comes to mind. Whatever happened on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was transformative for him. It stayed with him. It wasn't just a fleeting experience that happened one week and never was thought about again. This changed him. This stayed with him. So much so that when he's facing his own death, he's able to remember the glory of God that he was able to see. It makes me think that if we're not finding ways, if we're not opening our hearts to experience the glory of God, then we may actually not do well in those moments of suffering. Like we actually need the glory of God. We need to interact with the glory of God so that we know how to move through our moments of suffering. Amen. 
in the midst of our suffering, we're just going to be tempted to slip back into our spiritual impairments, whether they're cynicism or pride or whatever else it might be. It's an interesting text to get right before we step into Lent. That we have this story every year before our Lent of the Transfiguration. Why do you think that is? I think it may be that we need to be reminded of the glory of God before we step into the season that can be dark and bleak and lonely, where we take that long look at ourselves. We might see things that we don't want to see. And we need to be reminded that God is still king yeah. and sovereign over our lives, that his glory still has every opportunity to shine in the midst of our world. I was talking with someone this week and I was reflecting on this passage and I said, you know, I wonder, I wonder if revival happens as a preparation for suffering. And the person I was talking to said, well, wow, I've always thought that our suffering happened as a preparation for revival. I thought, wow, both, both. I think what's true is that we will experience suffering and we'll also experience the glory of God as we're open to those experiences. Yeah. So friends, as we step into Lent, let us keep our eyes on the God who reveals himself. Yes. Let's not just get so consumed with our practices or ourselves and forget about the mercy and the goodness and the glory of our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Speak truth to my Thanks for listening. Join us at the Mission Cleveland next week. Betray me.